0: Today's program has been brought to you by Consider Bardwell Farm, the first cheese making co op in Vermont. For more information, visit www.considerbardwellfarm.com.
1: You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: This is Mary Izette from Femen About It on Heritage Radio Network. I'm here at Pennsylvania 6 in New York City, speaking with Brian Taylor, Brewer for Goose Island. Hi, Brian.
0: Hi, how are you doing? Good.
2: Thanks for sitting down with me. So we are sitting here, Pennsylvania 6 is having a big Goose Island event. How many lines do you guys have?
0: I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. How many
2: lines do you guys have? You oh, think?
0: well over 10 lines for sure.
2: And some super special stuff. So um, you were drinking a Madame Rose, and I have a Sophie so- Paradisi. Yeah. It's delicious.
0: Yeah, and, you know, Madame Rose is a barrel-aged beer, Cabernet Wine Barrel. Sophie Paradisi is also a, a wine barrel-aged beer. Uh, it's a little twist from regular Sophie, which is orange peel. We use the entire grapefruit for Sophie Paradisi.
2: The entire, so not yeah, just the peel. the flesh. And how did you guys decide to do that?
0: Uh, like everything at Goose Island, it's trial and error. Uh, we use a ton of alternative spices, fruits at uh, at Goose Island. So when we're in our innovation team, uh, we try to use anything and everything. And since Sophie is already so good, we use Amarillo hops, obviously, for Sophie. So it's citrusy in the beginning. So we like to uh, complement those notes with Sophie. So the next best thing, we always thought... We do a beer called Marisol uh, in Chicago with Rick Bayless, a famous chef. Mm-hmm. And we use flesh for that, lemon flesh and, and lime flesh. And it always does bring out a more more of a smoothie-type character to it where you can really get the, the actual fruit involved. Uh, so that's kind of where we came up with Sophie Paradisi. And how, can I ask,
2: what, what stand you guys add the, the whole yeah. food in? Yeah, and- we
0: add it to the wine barrels. Okay. Yeah. So after primary it's post- Correct. So after primary fermentation, we'll add Brett Brucks to the Sophie, and then we'll also add the uh, Grapefruit. Okay.
2: And how long, um, how long are these beers sitting? I mean, does it vary?
0: It, every beer varies, obviously, especially our wine barrel-aged beers. Madame Rose is the longest. That's it, Our last batch has been two years now. It's been in barrels. Uh, Sophie Paradisi waited about eight months. Okay. Yeah, and it, it's because it's a saison. We don't necessarily... It's already tart. We don't need it to be a lambic style by any stretch. Mm-hmm. So what we're really trying to do is let the brett grow. Obviously, it takes a few months. Um, and then get the flesh of the grapefruit to actually come out. And with all fruits in barrels, it obviously goes away. Fruit, The actual fruit flavor does kind of fade away over time. So... Things like Sophie Paradisi, you want to do it right away and get it kicked out. So you don't want to wait over a year.
2: Right, right. So tell me,
0: let's go back and
2: tell me how you got started brewing. Did you start home brewing or what piqued your interest?
0: Uh, I'm a a bit of a different story actually. So I started uh, a really long time ago at uh, Flying Dog Brewery uh, during college back in 1999. I basically did it for free beer. <laughs> uh, me and my roommates figured out a way to get free beer, and it was go work the bottling line at Flying Dog in Denver, Colorado. So I did that, uh, graduated college. Uh, I was a biology major, and it, it, it was just fun, and it was kind of a good fit for me. And the brewmaster at the time, Eric Warner, was like, hey, we kind of need some, uh, some full-time guys around, people who are passionate about beer. And I wasn't necessarily passionate yet, but in Denver at that time, it was starting to get really big. It was kind of 10 years ahead of everyone else. Uh, you know, Oregon, Denver, uh, Cali, they were all kind of ahead of the rest. And I'm from the Midwest, so I showed up in Denver, and I was like, what? I'm, I'm not used to this stuff. <laughs> so it was really intriguing, um, I, and I, I got to learn kind of from the ground up working in the packaging line. Never homebrewed before that. Um, And they took me under their wing, and I ended up going to Siebel and did the full uh, semester program where I went to Germany, studied at Doymans Academy, and really immersed myself into beer at that point. Um, Graduated, came back, and at that time, it it was kind of a different world where um, I was actually called by breweries uh, looking for educated people. They were kind of moving up and, and wanted that technical side of brewing. So uh, Stephen Piles from Boulevard Brewing Company actually called me and uh, offered me a job. So I moved to Kansas City for a few years, and that's where I really honed my craft in. Uh, he taught me all about Belgian beers. They were doing Saison Brett long before many other breweries were doing anything with Brett. Um, And he was also doing some barrel aging at the time. And that really piqued my interest, being a biology guy. I I really liked the side of wild yeast. I loved fermentation. Even now at Goose Island, I'm the head cellarman. I love fermenting side. I love the cold side. I'm one of these guys that thinks yeast is one of the more important flavors in beer rather than hops and malt. I know they play a big part, but yeast is the most fascinating part because you can control it. And you can make all these different flavors out of yeast that most people don't really understand. Um, So, after Boulevard, um, I was there for about three, four years. And um, at that point, I moved into the lab at Boulevard. Um, I was kind of a liaison between the brewers and the lab geeks. and. Propping up yeast, doing bottle checks, um, you know, CO2, dissolved oxygen, that type of thing. And at that point, uh, a girl named Mary Pelletieri gave me a call at Goose Island. And I'll be honest, when I went to Siebel, I was always interested in Goose Island. At that time, we were doing classes in the pub at uh, Clybourne. So we... I would go up there all the time. I knew everyone that worked there simply through Siebel, um, and when a job opening uh, happened at Goose Island, I jumped on it, and it was a lab tech. So I first started as a lab tech at Goose Island and kind of waited, <laughs> and uh, it, to be honest, it was a thing where you know I worked in the lab for about a year and a half, and at which time uh, uh, the head seller job came open, and I had been a brewer for a long time at Boulevard uh, and Flying Dog, so I, it was kind of a perfect fit for me to go right into the cellar job, and I've been there ever since. I've been there six and a half years now. Great. Yeah. Then how
2: many brewers
0: does, does Goose Island have, or, you know, cellar kind of? Right. Uh, well, the breweries, uh, Goose Island has two pubs okay. and a production facility. Right. So the two pubs are in, you know, renowned areas of Chicago. There's Wrigleyville, Goose Island, and then there's Lincoln Park, Goose Island. And then I work at the production plant. Uh, it's in the industrial area, like any brewery in a big city. Um, we, that's where we have our wine barrel aging warehouse, our bourbon barrel. Uh, it gives us space to work, basically. Yeah. yeah.
2: So tell me, tell me a little bit about your wine and bourbon barrel aging. I mean, how big you see, you have a
0: warehouse. How big, yeah. how many barrels do you guys have? For sure. Uh, we So combined wine and bourbon barrels, we have 5,000, um, and I believe we are one, the largest or one of the largest uh, barrel aging companies in America right now, as far as beer is concerned. Right. Um, so, yeah, we generally we have more bourbon barrels than we do wine, but wine is catching up. We have now, right now, I think we have about 1,800 wine barrels and about 3,000 uh, bourbon barrels, okay. and... Each year, uh, it kind of gets more and more ridiculous. Um, And now, of course, it's getting so popular around the brewing community, it's actually getting difficult to find barrels. Um, And those who haven't had contacts for a long time are finding it very hard to get them. And we're we're lucky enough to have some people we've been ordering from for years now. Um, Actually, since 1992, basically, was our first bourbon barrel experience, yeah. Bourbon County Stout was made in 92, Um, so ever since then we've kind of developed these relationships with whether it's Heaven Hills uh, Distillery down in Kentucky, or a couple wineries we have in Michigan and Cali that we use over and over again. And The wine barrel industry is by far uh, my favorite thing to do when I go to work, Um, they have so much complexity to wine barrels just because of what was in it prior to the beer coming. And you can see that flavor coming out, and I'm drinking a Madame Rose, and, I mean, you can almost taste the Cabernet, and especially the oak. Um, as far as Bourbon County is concerned, you've had that. It's, uh, it's just a, a bourbon bomb, you know, and you can really get that that bourbon, oaky character, the char character to it. And it goes really well with all the chocolate notes and the vanilla notes of the Bourbon County.
2: Now, how, how, typically how long is the Bourbon County in barrels? It,
0: so we generally hold it anywhere from eight months to a year. Okay. And I say that simply because we have so many of them, it, it literally takes four months for us to empty them all out. Mm-hmm. So we start around eight months, and then by the time we are finished with every single barrel, it's been a full year. Okay. Yeah, and uh, it Bourbon County, The longer it stays in a barrel, it it doesn't really matter. It's soaking up all of that alcohol, so by the time a year passes, it's not going to get any different if you wait any longer than that year. Um, Now, once it gets into the bottle, it's a totally different story. The longer it sits in the bottle and kind of has time to relax, the more smooth it gets, the less harsh, because Bourbon County can be... It can burn going down if it's a brand new batch, but you cellar it, you let it sit in your uh, your basement for a year or two, it's gonna la- taste much better. <laughs> so what uh,
2: what is the favorite? What's your favorite beer that you're doing in barrels right now?
0: That's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay.
1: Uh,
0: well, obviously, my favorite beer uh, of all time is Juliet. It's the first beer we did in wine barrels. Um, a guy, Phil Wymore, who owns Perennial, and now uh, Matt Lincoln, who's starting a brewery over in Washington. Now, we were on this innovation team together, and Matt Lincoln purchased four wine barrels, and that kind of that began our wine barrel aging program. Um, and that was when was in two thousand seven, uh, summer of two thousand seven. We it it was us three. Uh, coming up with these crazy recipes, and I i had kind of, I had done some of this before, but nothing like what Matt and Phil were discussing, you know, I mean, they're, they're telling me we're going to buy a barrel, we're going to throw some Brett Brooks in it, we're going to throw blackberries in it, I'm like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about, so slowly I kind of learned the process of everything how long it takes like what we need to add to balance it out so you know you're not tasting pure vinegar after the entire thing's over and it just became more fun to play with and of all the beers Juliet has this balance to it 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 has a a, a, I don't want to say let me think here (laughs) the beer isn't necessarily a strong beer or a high alcohol beer but it's very complex and we add Brett to it for a couple reasons it has a, a very big diacetyl bomb to it and what the Brett does is eat that diacetyl And it's funny to watch Juliet grow over time. We do trials where we'll taste Juliet at three months, six months, nine months, a year. And from the three months where it's just a butter bomb, literally a butter bomb, all the way to the year where it's fully balanced out, the pH has gone down below four. It's got this nice, it's not a blackberry character, but it's like this great fruity wine character. It just makes it a well-balanced beer. And so after that, I would say uh, a couple of our newer beers are by far my favorite. We're making a beer right now called Jillian. Jillian is a, uh, bear with me, uh, white pepper, strawberry, honey, aged in white wine barrels, Saison. And this beer is like literally drinking a smoothie. It's the best beer I've had in a while. (laughs) It has 9% alcohol, and you would think it's you're like drinking orange juice. You have no idea that it's that much alcohol. It's a very dangerous beer. And is that one out now? It'll be and out in October. In October. And yep. how, um, how
2: available is that going to be?
0: It will be available here in New York. Um, we're going to release it with our sisters. So that means Juliet, um, Lolita, and then Jillian that I was just saying, and then a, a new beer called Halia. And that's a Sour Peach Saison aged with Closiniae, uh, another type of Brett Brooks or Protanomyces that we use. And is that
2: one in barrel,
0: barrel yep. aged or...? Yeah, that's another white wine barrel aged beer. We're starting to get into the white wine barrel aged before we were simply Cabernet wine barrels only. And there was a reason for that. It was every other wine barrel we used, just all, all you really got was Sour and Oak. You never really got anything else. The Cabernet wine barrels were really strong, so the wine could kind of compete with it, suck it out of the barrels simply the same way a bourbon would get sucked out of the barrels of the uh, bourbon barrels. So, yeah, those four beers are going to be available in October.
1: Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Today's program has been brought to you by Consider Bardwell Farm.
2: Spanning the rolling hills of Vermont's Champlain Valley and easternmost Washington County, New York, 300-acre Consider Bardwell Farm was the first cheese-making co-op in vermont founded in 1864 by consider stebbins bardwell himself rotational grazing on pesticide free and fertilizer free pastures produces the sweetest milk and the tastiest cheese all of their cheeses are aged on the farm in their extensive system of caves
0: consider bardwell farm is also a big supporter of heritage foods usa's no goat left behind program No Goat Left Behind is a serious effort launched in 2011 by Heritage Foods USA designed to introduce goat meat to American diners and provide a sustainable end market for dairy animals.
2: For more information, please visit www.considerbardwellfarm.com. Now how important is it, is yeast selection? So you're, I mean, you're putting some of these beers into a barrel for up to a year, two years, like you said, for the Madame Rose. How important is yeast selection going in? Like what... What kind of play do you see between the yeast that you're doing primary with and then what happens coming out of the barrel?
0: Well, a lot of our primary fermentations are all ale yeast. Uh, we do a, a lot of saisons, but other than that, it's our house strain. Okay. Um, so it, we ferment it the exact same way we would a honkers. We we put it in our stainless, usually 200 barrel batches and they ferment for about 10 to 14 days, nothing weird. Um, and at that point, we crash them, we dump them, and then we get them ready for barrel work. And then the fun begins. We, we have to make sure we have enough barrels uh, ready to go. They have to be steamed two minutes a piece. If you steam them too long, uh, the wood kind of goes a little wry, and then you got leaks for the rest of the year. So we've even honed in our steaming techniques, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's that crazy of a production over at Goose Island with all the barrel work we're doing uh we have a guy named brian turner that takes care of most of our day-to-day barrel operations and it's needed and he has an assistant and that's needed too um simply because of all the barrels that are coming in and out um the where it gets interesting with yeast is our wild yeast um we do play around with those i i'm i've always been a fan of clausinii my boss uh his name is Brett. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> he actually enjoys lambicus. Uh, he just created a beer, uh, Matilda, our Matilda lambicus. That's uh, we usually use Brett Brux for all our Matilda production, and we did a, about a triple dose of uh, Brett lambicus to this. And and lambicus kind of gives you a more sour character. It's a lot more floral than Brett Brux. Whereas uh, Closiniae, in my mind, Closiniae will give you that hardcore pineapple character that uh, Brett Brooks kind of has, but not... It, it's just kind of a more intense Brett Brooks. That's what I kind of consider Closiniae. And we prop them up all in-house. Uh, we have a propagator. We actually have four propagators. And one of them is always uh, propping up some form of wild yeast. We also do lactobacillus. Uh, we've done Pediococcus. We have a beer called Two More Weeks coming out in September that is a spontaneously fermented beer. We named it Two More Weeks because it's been about two years since. <laughs> <laughs> so our, uh, our salespeople were getting on us left and right on when's it going to be ready. We're like, we're going to have to call this beer Two More Weeks <laughs> this is for the amount of time we've told them Two More Weeks. So that beer is going to be awesome. Uh, so tell me
2: how you propagated your wild or you know c- gathered your wild yeast.
0: Yeah. So our lab has done a great job. We we collect our, our original batch of yeast like any brewery would. We use y yeast, um, and then they they slant it out, uh, and we do it like we would a regular prop. Only there are a few technical differences. I don't know if you want me to get into them, but yeah, no all right. So with regular yeast, you know, you have a set program of how much you deliver wort each hour, and it's kind of a, it's very regimented. The the yeast likes given a certain amount of wort at a certain time, and then you wait. Whereas Brett, we've learned that if you give the wild yeast a lot of wort in the beginning, hold off, and then a lot of wort in the end, it really thrives for some reason. Um, and this is simply through trial and error. We've We've propped, I've done over a thousand props of bread in my life, and we've kind of learned over time what it likes, what it doesn't like. And
2: this is primary fermentation that you're discussing, or?
0: This is uh, wild fermentation, so this Uh, is secondary. Okay, secondary. Yeah. So obviously, we prop up uh, bread and wild yeast at a different given time. So, what we do is we put it in kegs and we'll put it in the, our walk-in cooler, and then we dose it into whatever beer we need. So if you think about it, we have Sophie, we have Matilda, and then we have all our barrel beers that all get wild yeast. So rather than propping it up at any given time, uh, we create stockpiles of it, and then we dose it at a certain, we like to give Matilda 200 cells per mil of Brett Brock's. Uh, the, the more sour beers. We like to give it a little more. We'll do three and four hundred thousand cells per per mil. Um, And basically we kind of, like I said, through trial and error, figure out what each beer likes and how much time. A beer like Matilda, we add Brett uh, after primary. So that's about 14 days. We'll add Brett. And our lab, we do have a lot of great technology and great lab people at Goose Island. So we've done a lot with Timing and how long to add the Brett, how long to keep it warm before crashing, and we have a GC, so we've been able to study the flavor profile of Brett from day 14 to day 30, and at that point, after about 10 to 14 days, the Brett just gives up as far as its major production of,
2: of aroma and flavor. Aroma
0: and flavor, yeah, and then it kind of dies off. Now we add it again to the bottle, so that's a whole nother story. But during the fermentation, we'll do, that's why it takes 30 days for a Matilda. We do 14 days in primary, and then 14 to 16 days in secondary with Brett Okay.
2: So the two weeks later, how did you guys do that beer?
0: Yeah, two more weeks was a, yeah, it was a, um, so we started out with a uh, Belgian wheat recipe, basic. Um, I wanted a ton of wheat, We've obviously wheat loves any lactobacillus. Pediococcus will eat up all that wheat before it'll eat up a pale malt or anything else. Um, so we wanted to stick with a wheat. We did a Belgian wheat. We added uh, uh, 500,000 cells per mill of Pediococcus, 500 cells per mill of lactobacillus, and then Brett brooks as well. Uh, two wine barrels. Okay. No, this is primary. Oh, primary. Yeah. Okay uh two wine barrels and we let that sit obviously it just came out of barrels we did it in 2011 so (laughs) it took us a little while but you know any uh any lambic style we're calling it a lambic it may not be uh an exact lambic because we dosed it ourselves and we really had a lot of control over it um but it's America. That's what we yes, do here. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we like our barrels clean for some reason. Oh. Well,
2: it sounds delicious, and I look forward to trying it, as well as the other the two new sisters. So you also were mentioning before we started the interview about a collaboration series that you guys have been doing. So tell me a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, and it's funny you say that. Like, tonight, um, a band called Run the Jewels is playing. It's with Killer Mike and LP. I met Killer Mike and LP... Um, I would say in June and they were interested in doing a beer and that we had a phone conversation about you know the overall gist of it they were into it so our marketing crew got into it and we ended up talking I'm like you know trying to figure out what kind of beer they liked then these guys are you know they're not necessarily they don't home- homebrew <laughs> you know <laughs> and they had a couple requests you know I- Let's make sure the beer has that aroma of uh, hop's second cousin, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and a it's got a exactly a little dank, and it's got a taste. You know, it's in the middle of summer during a festival, so we we can't have like a 10% alcohol beer and have people you know dropping like flies all over the music fest. So we had that kind of range to deal with. So. What I did was I came up with a uh, Belgian uh, wheat IPA. And we used some hops that are actually haven't been out in the field yet. They're not even named. One hop is actually nicknamed 7272 because it has no name yet. And then we dry hopped with Citra Hop. And the beer is all aroma, uh, very little bitter. It's a great summer beer that we did. Killer Mike and LP played at Pitchfork Music Fest, uh, I would say late July, and it was the best time we ever had. They brought me up on stage, Uh, I made a fool out of myself, which I'm pretty good at, (laughs) and you know, tonight they're actually playing here in New York, so they called us up and uh, invited us over, so yeah, as soon as our uh, event here is done, we're going to head on over to the Webster Hall and watch Killer Mike and LP.
2: Well, have fun tonight, and thank you so much for speaking with me, and uh, thanks for for mentioning about it.
0: Awesome. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.